you really have to see other people's model of the world. If you want to be a good leader, that's one of the things. I agree with you completely. It's raising your level of awareness. It's all about communication, understanding how to communicate with other people and how to hear and listen and hear what someone else is actually saying. Try this bad boy out for science. You are welcome to take a seat at the table where we use a new lens, where humanity are stakeholders. Different distinctions encouraged, intention starts from a no-judgment zone, a certain age is not criteria, and where you become comfortable with the uncomfortable to facilitate a new conversation. There we go. We're happening. We're live. Welcome, Karen, to the decision table. I'm, I'm really excited to have you here today. I love getting to know new people, connecting. And, you know, like one of the reasons I'm having this conversations every day is I think for us to see change across the globe right now, one of the best ways we can do it is by having different conversations and looking through different lenses. And so the theme I've had this month on the decision table is what I believe is the need for a new approach to leadership. And so hopefully today, which I'm sure we will, bring some few little droplets of wisdom that our people that are listening, whether on here, usually a lot on the replay, but, you know, I think there's so much we can talk about and let's just get to know you a little bit so we can find out maybe some some perspectives that you have that someone like me may not have or have not even thought of. So I'm looking forward to diving into it a little bit today and seeing where we go. So welcome. Thank you, Kerry Marie. It's my privilege to be here. I'm really honoured to be asked and invited to come on this with you. As you know, probably know, I am very much into women in male-dominated industries. That's where I've been for 30 years. And my view on leadership is to lead with, not from in front or not from behind, but by doing it and having done it myself and leading with other people and really to view life as a magical adventure mm. and to get that this bit. it's not about when we get here or when we get there or when we've got money or when we've got this or when we achieve that goal it's actually about the right now it's the journey now and it's you know what's going on right now that this is it yeah I love the fact that you say it's a journey I totally think leadership is such a journey and and sometimes this journey is exciting. Sometimes it's a little challenging. And tell me, where did all this journey begin for you? My leadership journey, you know, in a way, because I've been an entrepreneur and a business owner from building businesses from nothing for over 30 years. And probably mm-hmm. some of it started when I was run, building my own businesses and helping colleagues And I didn't even realize that, you know, I learned a lot from my dad when I grew up. I was given so many gifts by my dad. He taught me things like how to be of service, how important it is to give service and be of service and enjoy it. Mm. And really things like how to do double entry bookkeeping. (laughs) 
And um, they don't even, I mean, all book, all accounting is double entry bookkeeping, but they don't refer to it now. You know, a big long ledger book where you have all these columns. Mm-hmm. They all have to balance out. You know, he taught me things like that when I was really young. And so I can remember teaching a colleague how to set his business up with a big ledger book and how to keep track of his accounts. So in a way, I have been leading, you know, for a good part of that 30 years I've been an entrepreneur. However, my real leadership role started when I finally brought one of my dreams to fruition, which was to bring the education around mindset transformation and the invisible side of success and what really causes our results, to bring that to people. And I trained and certified in that area. And that was in 2015. Wow. So... I love the fact that you had so many, you sort of took on a lot of what your, you know, the the good things from your father. What are you bringing on as a leader and going to be leaving as a legacy for the people who are coming after you? Okay, so what I'm bringing is probably the biggest thing is to help people to understand that what they believe is true and how Mm. society works. And so, for example, my biggest challenge is getting people to question the societal indoctrination that sets up our beliefs and helping them to see a different perspective. Challenging traditional norms and collective, that what, what um, Deepak Chopra calls collective unconscious beliefs. Yeah. And getting mm-hmm. people to see that it is it's not truth. It's not how it is and what really is reality. And then mm-hmm. to learn the invisible side of things that can help us achieve our results, which is things like the universal laws, things like the quantum world and quantum physics and metaphysics and the energy that circulates and goes around and is everything. It's all energy. You know, our thoughts, it's proven now, they know that our thoughts and our words all carry a measurable vibrational energy. And if we understand that and learn how to match the energy of what we want to achieve, our our dream life, if we learn how to be in synergy with that and match it, then our results will show up like magic. We don't get taught this stuff in university and college and school. No. And I was just thinking that, like, if I think of where leadership has been, this wouldn't be the norm. So how do we how do we bring this into a new approach of leadership? So I do it through I just do it through coaching and talking to people and getting to as many people as I can. So my goal is to get out there and actually enlighten people, raise their level of awareness by understanding more about this. My goal is to reach only a hundred women in the next twelve months, right? Yeah. And I know that the women I work with, it will then be the ripple effect. Because I, I tend to work with people who also want to make a difference and change, you know, change a society or a group of people they want to work, help them to change. So, yeah, it's just like getting my message out there and then teaching people what it's really about. And can I just add that this is not new stuff. You know, mm. it, goes, it goes back centuries when Einstein worked on his theory of relativity. He clearly describes that perception is simply our position in space time Mm. and it's tied to the direction that we're moving this this is a really good analogy right 
we, you know that, everyone knows that we are on a planet that's hurtling around the sun a roughly a hundred, a thousand miles an hour. But if you walk outside and look up to the sky on a still day, mm. you feel like you're not moving. But in fact, we all know that we are moving at a thousand miles an hour. Mm. So if you relate that to the perception of the beliefs that we believe and say it's time to start questioning those beliefs that we have been indoctrinated for decades and centuries by people who once again believe it, they care about us, they're not doing it to harm us. However, it's so strong that if you don't look for information elsewhere, then you fall into the sheep in the pen kind of, you know, <laughs> mentality. Yeah. And we're not talking because of the Kiwi side either, are we? Um, <laughs> I just had to go there. Okay. Yeah. So here's the thing. I didn't think of it as a new approach to it. Like I agree it's been around for a long time. I guess with a new approach what I'm thinking is that there is more of awareness to this being beneficial in all of us to have more of awareness maybe moving into the space of, you know, making this applicable to the way we lead. And I think that's the question that I, I like to think about when we have conversations like this because though it's been around for a long time this does not mean that it's the way it's being done or has you know even that is even in maybe people's awareness for this to become a new way to do it or to see that there's even effectiveness to being more aware of the quantum side yeah so so, for example, let me give you the scientific analogy of what a quantum leap is in mm. science. So, in science, they say a quantum leap is an explosive jump that a particle of matter undergoes in moving from one place to another without apparent effort and without covering all the bases between the starting and the ending points. And so, if we can look at that in a figurative mm. sense, we can use this in our results and success in our life to do it we have to change our personal rules for success we have to ignore conventional approaches like i said we have to realize that our beliefs are not actually true so we've got to change our perspective and so realize that there is another answer it's like for example the analogy with the fly that is so aptly put in a beautiful book I have by Price Pritchett. I think it's called Having a Quantum Leap. And mm -hmm. if you look at the fly that's banging up against the window, we've all seen it. Buzzing, buzzing, buzzing against the pane of glass trying to get out. And it keeps going, keeps going. It might go sideways, sideways a bit. And you know that there's a door or an open window or something not that far away and you're almost willing that fly to go there, right? Yes. But it keeps, it keeps staying on that same pane mm -hmm. of glass that bangs itself and bangs itself and tries harder and tries harder until eventually it drops to its death. And this is what we do in life. We try harder and try harder and try harder and we think that is the way to get where we want to go. When If we could change our rules for success, Think differently. Think about another route 
to get to where we want to go and believe that there is another route and it is possible. Mm-hmm. Like I could find an, an open window two meters away. Then, you know, it would be a whole different matter, but we don't look for that other route. We have to realize that the voice of the status quo doesn't need to talk to us. We're all living our status quo unless we're people who want to step out. We live in mediocrity. We live in the gray zone. We live in our comfort zone. We don't want, we're not willing to be uncomfortable and we're not Mm -hmm. willing to look for answers that we haven't already been provided with by societal beliefs. Yeah. So here's the thing. I totally agree that we don't like being uncomfortable and in a lot of ways, there's a lot of reason to why we don't like being uncomfortable. That means going into maybe something that's unknown. Maybe it's it's not the way that has been the norm or the status quo that maybe we've settled for. And so as a human, you don't tend to go towards the uncomfortable. And in fact, if you look at the way that it's across the globe right now, The uncomfortable has also become a place where it's not just uncomfortable. We don't want to upset other people. We don't want to disrespect. There are systems that are set up that have been in place for a long time. And these are not always easy to now do it a different way, think a different way, act a different way. Have you got some thoughts around that? Absolutely. So I totally agree with you. And the majority of people agree with what you say. Okay. And they have that internal dialogue. Because here's the thing our internal dialogue is what all that you just said comes Mm -hmm. from the internal dialogue that's generated Mm -hmm. by a number of things. It is societal beliefs and it is sometimes it's fear of being different and fear of um, being thought in a way that's not that nice because you've stepped out and and said I'm different it's often doubt it's often a lot of the negative emotions that as humans we all experience because we're human Mm -hmm. the thing is to understand that this is human stuff that stops us from moving forward in fact the part of us that there is a part of us that wants to keep us in our comfort zone its job the part of our brain the reptilian part of our brain, its job is to look after us and make sure we our hearts are beating, we're, we're living, we're just surviving. And then there's the other part of us as humans, as our spirit, that wants us to step out and become our full potential. And those two parts are always fighting with each other. And that's what stops most of us from stepping out and doing something that might be against societal's common beliefs. It might be something that makes us feel afraid. It might be something that makes us, that we're not easily willing to do. However, to achieve fulfillment and to achieve that feeling of having been successful, that's what we want to do. And we have to learn how to answer back the part of us that's trying to hold us back. You know, it's an unconscious thing. We work both with the unconscious and with this part of us that that stops us. Does that answer your question? 
Oh, I love it. It's great. No, 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 it's fantastic. Sorry, we have to focus on possibilities rather than limits because the thing is our limitations are all in our head. Society once again teaches us that you can't do something if you don't have an outside circumstance Mm -hmm. or situation or thing that fulfills that thing you want to do. That's what we learn. However, it's nothing to do with that. You know, Mm. if you believe that you can do it, this is why all the great masters have all the wonderful quotes. If you believe that you can do it, you want to do it, you make the decision to do it, you make the commitment to do it, you can do it, regardless of what those perceived limitations are. And this is how, this is why I love this stuff. Let me give you an example. I don't know if you've heard this before, but if I said to you that chair that you're sitting on, where was it before it was a chair? Have you heard this? I have heard it, but I don't remember it. <laughs> okay. Well, I yeah. give you the, so this is an analogy. Yeah, it's great. Maybe it was a chair, was a thought. Everything's yes. created. I'll start again. Everything is created twice. Everything in this physical world is a thought first before it becomes real, mm-hmm. before it becomes form in our physical world. So that chair started out as a thought in the chair designer's head, right? And we Mm -hmm. think in pictures. So it was a picture and it was a very detailed, specific, clear picture in color with all the details of how the legs would look, how the arms would look, you know, how the seating would be because that's how we think. And that Mm -hmm. chair designer, that chair existed in the quantum world once he or she thought that up, okay? Once you think something, it is already in existence in the quantum world in his or her unconscious, it could have just stayed there and done nothing unless that chair designer did certain things to bring it to this physical world. To bring it to this physical world, the chair designer created a specific, detailed, clear blueprint of what that chair was going to look like, probably put it on paper, Mm. and then made the decision and made the commitment that he or she was going to make that chair. So once they did that, they then would have taken it to the manufacturer, the blueprint to the manufacturer, or done it themselves, but said, I want you to make this chair, right? And then when it was physically put together, it became a physical form in this world. Now, that's easy to understand. You can relate that to the house you're living in, your phone, your computer, any physical piece of matter that you can look at however what people don't understand is that this is how our results in our life are created as well and so by default by our thoughts by the Mm -hmm. pictures in our head by the questions that we ask by the energetic vibration that they're all at we are creating some people use the word manifesting we are manifesting our results in our life anyway If you're breathing, you are manifesting. You cannot not be a manifester, okay? So we're manifesting everything, and we think 60 to 70,000 thoughts or more a day. And if I asked you what 10,000 of the thoughts you've had, you had yesterday, you wouldn't be able to tell me half of them. Mm -hmm. Most of them are negative. By being human and by being in society, we are brought up to think negative thoughts. That means maybe what challenges we have, maybe how hard it is to get 
all this put together today, maybe our doubt, maybe our fear, maybe an argument we had with someone a week ago, a lot of our, most of our thoughts they know are negative. They also know that 85% of those 90% of negative thoughts are the same thoughts that we had yesterday. So we're thinking the same thing over and over. Now, if you remember that your energy of your thoughts is has to be in synergy with the life that you would love and you're thinking about all the stuff you don't want or the challenges you had, you're not in synergy with what you would love. Love and gratitude are the two highest energies on the planet. Mm-hmm. And so you can't attract what you want if your vision for your dream life is at this energetic vibration and you're mm-hmm. operating at the struggle and problem and difficulty and what have you energetic vibration it's so funny when you talk like that because that's so not me and and if you know my work it's the opposite to that but I know just because that's not me and that's not where I operate because that part of my work is being able to really exercise what I call the muscle of human intelligence and so I've done a lot of work around patterns and and figuring out if we were actually wired to, to and put our wiring in our brain to another piece of our a pathway of our brain, what would that then be able to create and what behaviors and then get the results? And I became fascinated and that's how a lot of my work came out of. So it's really interesting hearing you talk like that because I go, I have forgotten, but when I have conversations on this table, I start hearing some of these things like one of the things to a new approach to leadership and you've already brought this up, but was fear. And I was like, I don't ever think of it as a fear thing. I always think of it as an opportunity, you know, and and a lot of people would think risk. And I go, well, I just go, well, I haven't done this. This is kind of exciting. That means I get to pioneer something that if this works out, then what does that mean growth-wise or opportunity or people or connection? And so it's interesting when you talk like that because I go, ah, it reminds me how there are a lot of people out there who do think like that. And I think, okay, so I get both sides of this and then I go, how do we narrow that gap? Because we know that we are going to get much better results as leaders. We're going to be more effective. We're going to be more productive. We're going to have connect with the right people when we get this and we understand it. So how do we narrow that gap from where a lot of people are to where possibly would be a much more, I don't know, better way to be? Yeah, I love that you don't think like that too, Carrie Marie, because they say, I don't know how accurate it is, but they say people like you and I and people who work in this realm and think the way that we do is only about 3% of the entire population. Mm. That the, rest of, the rest of the population are in the opposite. Oh, so, interesting. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, so how do we narrow that gap Mm-hmm. Is a big one. that's a big one you know it's like that's my mission that's what I want to do and yet not everyone is one don't forget you can't make people want to think the way that we do or want to learn about this alternative mm-hmm. force that's out there you know the infinite world the universal laws the quantum field how do we get people interested in 
wanting to know about that because that's the thing first is like remember well maybe maybe it's even how do we get people interested to want to think differently maybe it's not even into this piece here or that piece over there but it's like even just want to start thinking differently in other words not be so conditioned stuck in biases stuck in systemic ways that have always been the way to do it how do we even start opening that door to what I always say is that we start looking through different lenses absolutely absolutely and it is it's like your perception is looking through a different lens your Mm. view on something is looking through a different lens and like I said there are plenty there are many opportunities out there to learn how to even want to understand some of this think differently get different results but it's not everyone who goes to those different types of education to do it. It's actually a really mm. small minority. So mm. I can't answer that. I don't know how to, I don't know what the answer to that is except to grow the body of people like you and I whose mission is to offer change to the way people think. And, you mm. know, I've got a really interesting story on that. In 2010, I went to Egypt with a group of entrepreneurs and we did some things that nobody nobody does. And one of them was to meet with a woman by the name of Kathleen Martinet. And her mission was to excavate for Queen Cleopatra's tomb. And I was reading up a lot of stuff. She spoke to us about why she was doing it And that's why I want to tell you. And she never spoke to anybody. Like, she wouldn't give presentations or anything. And the guy who organized this, he was called Roger Hamilton, and he's part of the Entrepreneurs Institute. Oh, yes, I know. Yes. So we went with him, and he manages to get people to do things that they wouldn't normally do by asking them what help they need. And that's another thing to do, which is really amazing, is when you, you want something, instead of asking for what you want, you ask how you can help someone else. So he asked how he could help her and managed to convince her to talk to this group of entrepreneurs. And she she had a different view to the common view of Cleopatra and how she ruled. And so I was Googling this mm-hmm. and looking it up, and it seems that there's an inaccurate representation of who she was and how she ruled. So that's interesting. And maybe yeah. Kathleen Martinet knew more about the real Cleopatra. And so anyway, we went in Egypt to the site that she had found and was in the middle of excavating. And you may or may not know that in Egypt, when they excavate, they're not allowed to use big equipment or anything. They're only allowed to use their hands and a few hand tools. And so it's a very arduous process. And there's all sorts of things like scorpions and things down there. So it's quite a dangerous process as well. And this amazing woman had 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 this dream to do this all her life she wanted to be an archaeologist and her father she was Italian or Greek and I'm sorry about that detail I can't remember whether she was Italian or Greek but her father told her you can't be an archaeologist it's not going to make you any Mm -hmm. money you have to be a lawyer or you have to do something else and sort of forced her into law so she was a successful lawyer she'd been practicing law for many years but she wasn't happy and fulfilled 
And mm. so she went back to that dream that she'd had and she managed to, I won't tell you all the details because even being allowed to do it as a non-Egyptian was an exception that she managed to be given, which mm. was very unusual. But I remember we were, standing, we were standing at the top of the site where she was had excavated and found some artifacts. And I asked her, I said, how did you know where to dig, you know, where to go? And her answer was, mm. well, I do, it's all worked out with the stars and the sun and, you know, all sorts of maths like that, but also it's my intuition. And mm -hmm. the reason, which was amazing, because there was someone who had excavated not more than three meters away and they'd found nothing. And so, but the reason she told us she was doing it, and this is the part that I found really interesting, was because she believes that, and this was in 2010, she believed that Cleopatra was the last of the feminine leaders who ruled mm. with the feminine virtues. That every other female who's been in a high leadership position since then has ruled like a man in women's clothing. And if you think about the top leaders in the UK, in New Zealand, in different parts, I think you might, you may or may not agree with that. But I could mm -hmm. see where she was getting at. And she said, I want women to become leaders again and to lead from their own virtues and ways rather than just being a woman who carries on the patriarchal way the male way of being a leader, which is not the way women work. Okay, here's a thought for you. I'm just thinking when you said that, I'm like, what do I think about that? And then I'm like, well, take Jacinda for an example. I think she brought some very feminine side to it. She, yeah. you know, brought yeah. the fact that she was very happy to breastfeed her child didn't matter where she was or what, where that needed to happen. She goes, my baby needs to be fed. I'm going to do it. When there was the pandemic that hit the world, she goes, you know what? All of us are at home and she just brought it on as a real person. I'm just checking in really yeah. and just having a conversation. And I thought that brought such human side back to it. And often as a, you know, a female there's a real nurturing side to us. And I think that that was such a great example of her just nurturing, just going, hey, I just want to make sure, you know, I haven't done my hair, haven't done my makeup, whatever, you know, just turning up here. And I thought that was so good in that way. So I think like we've had these conversations, I think that, yes, you're right, it's not the normal side and that it's possibly, and I think this is the, this is the interesting thing that you you say, since Cleopatra that there hasn't been but I think it's very hard when we say there has or hasn't I just think that there's a lot of the times that this is not the way that it's normally done I think there often is pockets but because it's not brought out like just like the way we think there's the reason we're not hearing about it is because it's not necessarily being given platform for voice to be given to this because it's not the norm. And I think that that's part of this new approach to leadership is who do we need to have at the table? Who do we need to give voice to? And if we were to do that, what results would we see? What changes would we see? 
and how would that be so much more beneficial to to the global leadership landscape really yeah and i i totally agree with you and i've got some answers to that which i'd like to share however yeah. just to make a point was that when um, uh, Kathleen Martinet said that, remember, Jacinda mm. wasn't in power. This has been right. <laughs> come up since then. And so that's almost like, yeah, mm. wow, what Kathleen said is right. You know, like we're starting to bring women into the world in top leadership, or we're starting to welcome women in top leadership positions. And I personally think why is because we need people in leadership who are really operating from truth, from integrity, mm. from authenticity, yes. being congruent, where they really believe in what they say. So if they say, I'm mm. here, best of the people, they really mean that from their heart and they will do from their heart whatever they can to carry out that role. It's not around money. It's not around power. It's not around control, which is a lot of the things that leaders have been has what a lot of the things that have been driving leaders in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, women also work with their intuition, work with the mental faculties that, once again, we don't get taught about. There are six mental faculties we're all given at birth, and yet we don't get taught what they are and how to use them. And one of them is our intuition. And interestingly enough, Kerry Marie, one of them is our perception. Mm -hmm. And so, you know... Yeah. When we learn to use these mental faculties, not only for our own good, but for other people's good, everything changes. The whole yeah. game changes. Yes, I totally agree. You know, and it changes, but it also, it kind of brings it back to an open playing field again, meaning that, you know, maybe if we don't think we know everything, and we don't do it the same way, that we come back and we go, we're on this journey. Again, with that conversation that we began of this is a journey that we're on. And so with this journey, we continue to evolve. And when you're evolving, it means that there's a possibility for learning. There's a possibility for things to change. There's a possibility for you know, to do it differently or to realize that maybe there's other more effective ways to do things. And I think that this is not not the way that we're taught to do leadership. It's not, it definitely hasn't been sort of what I've been exposed to in leadership. And yet I've seen pockets of it and pockets of amazing people across the world who have raised up both female and male leaders to come on the journey with them and I go what if we could do that and more of us could do it how big an impact would that have yeah and I think you're right it starts with a few people mm. getting together and saying I mean it happens all the time a few people getting together having yeah. common goals and beliefs and values and and that's the other thing of course that's so important with leadership it's values and to mm. understand and that brings in your perception again because we think that everyone has the same values as us. Not, you know, until we become enlightened, we grow up with values and we think everyone else has the same values and that's what's right or wrong, right? Mm -hmm. When you understand really what values are and that 
cultures have different values, that different people have different values, and that even our perception of anything that we've created, because it all gets created in here, right? Our yes. internal representation of anything is created by our own set of values, beliefs, attitudes, all of the things that we have in here. And so, you know, it's if a few people get together with a similar goal and similar values and similar desires and say, hey, is anyone else interested in this? And it grows from there. However, mm. you've still got that very, very strong, what can you call it? That very, very strong societal norm mm. that's that we've got to try and change. That that's there for us to try and offer an opposite experience for people. Yeah. Look, this brings up two things for me. I go, I get it. And when you've got those values, so that's the one side, the values are same. We can join together and almost like a force, right? There's more power when you've got more than one person, you know, in there building something. And so there's that domino effect or ripple effect. So here's the interesting thing that I want to take it even to a different space. And that is, so if we're all like-minded and we can come together and we grow this, it's very, very easy for that then to become the next systemic, the next conditioning, the next bias, because there's so many people that are starting to think that way. What I find very, very interesting and I want to challenge when it comes to something like this is go, okay, what if we could just come together and connect to use some of those things that you might think this way, Mary over here thinks very different, George thinks this way, and we put that together and with those what I call not diversity but distinctions that you bring, that that gets added onto a table. See, the problem when we are all the same, the problem when it's all around the same value is that we then try to pop everything out the same way. And there's a risk to that because I think the one thing we can come to the table is when we see humanity as stakeholders at the table. So that gives us the same playing field. But I love the fact that everyone comes with their distinctions. And because you believe this way, this is your value system. This is what you know works and is true for you. This person over here might not have that as a value system, but it works for them and they can bring, and maybe there's a piece of that that we want to add in with what you've just given. It's almost like that beautiful mix. And I think the problem is that if we're trying to do communities where it is only of those that are of the same value, those that are of the same beliefs and think the same way, then we are just doing what the systemic has taught us to do in the past. How do we bridge that gap? Or is that even important in your thinking? I'd love your thoughts on this. I think it's very important. And mm. I don't for one minute mean to get a group of people together who have the same beliefs, the same values, just to basically copy and mirror what's already going on. Yeah, I love that. What is important, I think, is to learn that everyone, everyone has their own unique model of the world. Mm. And so once again, it's about 
perceiving that everyone has their own unique model of the world, yeah. understanding that and really going, okay, well, it's like Einstein said. He said, because of the speed that we're traveling and the way that it works, it's possible for two people to see the same exact same thing and for one person for it to be in their past and another person for it to be in their future mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and we're both right we're both right and so that's what I mean is it's important to understand that everyone has their own unique model of the world everyone has their own perception and views and we mustn't think that one person's right or wrong yeah it's about getting around it's about saying, okay, that's interesting. And then getting around to here and looking through their lenses. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can see why you think like that. Let's talk about those two things and see if there's any sort of common ground or yes. what we can do with that. I don't for one minute mean getting people together who are all are like, this is the way it is. This is the way it should be. We're all right. So good. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the reason I say things like that is because you can perceive that that might have been what you said there. And I never like to assume anything. So I like to challenge because I think sometimes we've got to challenge beyond that next step. We go, this is what we'd like to see. But actually what we're liking to see is that we hear different worlds. We hear how you're seeing that. Mm -hmm. And then we go, what is it? Like I, I say the fundamentals to leadership are first awareness. Then it's ownership, and that ownership might be as a collective, but it is always what are you going to own in that situation as well? And then what is the change that's going to come now that you're owning whatever that is that you're owning? And from that has to become a sustainable solution because it's leaving an imprint for the yeah. generations yeah. to come, right? And so... So that's why this is so important because as we continue to go, how can we step it up and and be more effective as a leader in our sphere of influence, whatever that might be, from a small to massive capacity, doesn't matter. But every decision you're making is having an impact. So how can we do that more effectively and add value to humanity going forward? So I love the fact that, you know, by the way, I'm I'm really glad that you weren't meaning this <laughs> because yeah, 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 I think yeah. you know, interesting enough, right. there are a lot of people who do just mean this. And I think that's yeah. what's causing a lot of division right now is mm -hmm. we've got little pockets of this and those are hitting each other and not connecting yeah. and together then finding what that pathway forward can be. Yeah, I really, I so agree with you. And I'm glad you gave me the opportunity to clarify that. I mm. still come back to it's so important to understand how someone else has come to their, their yeah. view, their perception, what's important to them as well. Mm. It's like you really have to see other people's model of the world. If you want to be a good leader, that's one of the things. I agree with you completely. It's raising your level of awareness, raising yeah. your enlightenment, understanding how it's all about communication understanding how to communicate with other people and how to hear and listen and hear what someone else is actually saying so mm -hmm. that then you can have a proper conversation do you think we're hearing these days very well 
no, we don't get taught to hear either. We get, you know, even listening, we're not hearing. And that's another thing that is a skill that if you learn how to do it and if you give someone the gift of mm. hearing and listening, it's one of the biggest gifts that you can do for someone. And being present and actually sitting with people when you're talking with them and really listening and hearing what they're saying, even if it's just, you know, not even anything hugely important, mm. but paying attention to people. I agree, we don't do it enough. We're too busy, too many distractions, too much information going to us, too addicted to our phone to really be present and be hearing what people are saying. Hmm. What do you want people to hear from what you're saying today? What I want people to hear is that if they want something, if they give some time to thinking about how they would like things to be in their life, in their Hmm. society, in their country, in their world, if they really think about how they would want their life to be and gave it some attention and then looked for ways, believed that they could have it happen and looked for ways to counter all the perceived limitations and things that tell them they can't have it like that, Mm. then it's a very wonderful path to go down to discover how to have more fulfilment success, abundance, love, all the things we want as humans in our life. That would be my message is to say, don't think that it's not possible. Don't think that your limitations are really going to limit you. That all the people who have made change in this world, big change, things that were impossible at the time, have overcome their limitations to achieve what it is that they've achieved. And we're no different to those people. We're all humans. We're all the same. We Mm. can all, not one thing that we can't think up in our head. If we can think it, it is possible. But what happens is we think it up and then we bring it down to what we think we can achieve based on our limitations, what Mm. we think we can achieve because we know how to do that. And that's not how the invisible side of things work. Yeah. It's not how it works. Yeah. And so I'd say to people is work out what it is you really, really love. So tell and me, then, what has been possible because you've been able to do this? Oh, so many things. So many things have happened as a result of me doing working this process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean <sighs> If I had another hour, I could probably give you some good stories. <laughs> well, give me at least but three, three, three oh top ones. So the questions that you ask is one big thing. And what we tend to do is in our heads, we tend to be asking little questions about things that are difficult for us. So we might be asking something like, you know, how can I make enough money to pay all the bills by the end of the month? And that is a little question. If you change that question to how can I make, how can I do something that's going to generate me another 10,000 on a regular basis every month, that is a bigger question, right? Mm -hmm. And so I had a situation where I'm a big risk taker, Karim Marie, and I was a property developer. And Mm -hmm. I started it in the middle of 2006, 2007. 
And I had four properties on the go in New Zealand in the middle of being subdivided. New One had a new house being built on it. Various stages when the 2008 GFC or crash hit. Hmm. And we had all this money out. We were leveraged 80-20 to the banks. My own home was used as collateral and security, and that was leveraged 80-20 as well. And the crash happened, and pretty much within a few months, all our properties that we had did go down in value temporarily because in New Zealand property and probably Australia too, it probably doesn't really drop, but it does go up and down, as you will probably know. And it went down... Mm. So the, the value of them, if we tried to sell them at that time, was less than what we owed the banks. Right. And I we struggled through. We had um, a little bit of leeway with a loan, a line of credit, and we struggled through. Our businesses were also, I mean, this was a partner who I was doing it with, were also, you know, not doing so well because it was the GFC, we thought. So, of course, because we mm-hmm. thought that it was. And it just got worse and worse to the point where we were running out of extra funds and every month it was robbing Peter to pay Paul. And I was actually in Australia on a business and property seminar and they did a little bit of the mindset stuff. And I can remember they did a mindset stuff, a mindset lesson of you get what you focus on, you get what you focus on. And there's actually a universal law I now teach. This is before I was a coach. And it's the law of non-resistance. And it's what you resist, you persist. And it's the same thing. If you're resisting something, you're always thinking about it. You're always resisting it. It actually keeps coming to you. So they said this thing, you get what you focused on. And I left the seminar that day and I went back to the hotel. And then I was like, oh, my God. Every morning when I wake up, all I'm thinking about is what if? What if the worst happens? What if the bank? finds out mm. what in the bank that had the big lending we were we'd borrowed over three million dollars what if the bank found out we were in such trouble and foreclosed on us what if they said we've got to pay to sit down some of our loans I'm going to lose everything and I had all these thoughts going on from the time I woke up in the morning and I realized I'm focusing on this mm-hmm. I'm going to get this if I don't change something So I decided that they said, you know, ask a different question. So I decided to work out what the question was I wanted to ask that was empowering Mm -hmm. and that was going to change my situation. So I asked the question, how can I create or come across or make another two hundred dollars to $300,000? Now, that position that we were in, I just explained to you, was not a place where I had any idea where to get another two or $300,000 from. (laughs) Yes. But I asked the question, and pretty much the next day, I came up with an answer. And I worked it out in my head, and I went back to New Zealand after the course with the seminar thing, and I had a meeting with my partner, and I said, hey, this is what we have to do. I said, Mm -hmm. what we've got to do is we've got to refinance and get our finance away from that bank, because that bank was known also in New Zealand to be the worst bank and it had actually caused a lot of trouble to people in the previous crash mm-hmm. many, many years before that. I said, we've got, first of all, we've got to get out of this bank. So we've got to put together a really professional portfolio of all our properties, what they were worth when we bought them, what we've put into them because we'd renovated most of them. We were in the middle of, as I say, we'd subdivided most of them. 
what they're worth now, what we're getting in on without from our tenants and all of that because they all had houses on them and make it a really professional portfolio, right? We've got mm. to have photos before and after. So, And also we've got to do a little bit of creative accounting. We've got to find another financier and we've got to try and get some more money, some more line of credit. Mm-hmm. So he said, yep, yep, he was the numbers man. He could do spreadsheets out of your ears. He was just amazing with all of that. So wow. he put it and then we got it all. We did a bound in those days. We were still not working fully digital, so we did a bound physical copy, but we also had a physical copy. I remember those I, days. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went out to all my friends and all the people I knew who had some property and some loans, and I said, I'm looking for a new financier. Who do you know who is prepared mm. to look a bit outside the square, who's prepared to work with trusts because all our properties were in different trusts? Yeah. And so my nanny, actually, I had a nanny, a beautiful woman who had been nannying for me for four years when my children were very young. Mm. And she's like a sister now. And she said, yep, yep, I've got a mobile broker and he's amazing. And whenever I ring him up, he just, and I say, I want more money. He just says, yes. And I said, that's who I, he sounds like who I want. He's and perfect. so <laughs> I got in touch with him. And remember, this is in about 2010. Yeah. So it's in the middle of that crisis still. And he came and visited us. I gave him all the information. We were both there, the partner I was working with. And we gave him the bound copy. And he said, okay. And I said, we'll give you the whole lot. You know, it was $3 million worth of business for them. I said, we'll give you the whole lot. But I said, we don't just want enough. I didn't tell him the trouble we were in, of course. I said, we don't just want enough to pay back the bank. We had about four different financiers we were working with. I said, we don't just want enough to pay them back what we own them on the property. We want you to look at what the maximum we can borrow against each property and give us a line of credit on each one of them. Right? A few days, he said, yeah, I'll get back to you. Looks pretty good. I'll be fine. A few days later, with our fingers crossed and toes crossed, he came back to us. You're not going to believe this. What he offered us to refinance <laughs> When I added up all the different properties and the extra that he'd given us, it added up to over $200,000 in line of credit after we'd paid back the bank. So So that's one example of what I teach now Mm. that I was doing even before I was a certified coach, and it's about changing your perception. Other people would have said, we've had it. You know, I could have easily, it could have gone the other way and we could have been bankrupt. But I kept, of course. We kept the shirts on our backs, we kept, kept our credit rating. And what we did was as each property came back in value when the market turned to be enough to sell it to pay back the bank, we just sold them. We just got out of them as quickly as we could because the stress was too great and we were yeah. really over just filling a hole. However, we did make the interesting part about it is we did make another three hundred thousand on one of the properties that we sold. Mm, I love those stories. Wow, that's amazing! I love that. Okay, so if anyone wants to connect with you and learn more about what you do and your world, what's the best way for them to be able to do that? I can share a link for all of my Facebook profiles. I have. They, I can share a calendar. Have you? Yeah, okay, cool. Because I know you can do it in the comments. Like if you've got comments on your side, you can actually put that in there as well. 
And if not, you can give me that and we'll put them into the comments afterwards as well. Wow. One of the things I do uh, every every conversation on the decision table at the end, you know, and it comes back to this, I think that we've had this amazing conversation. I've learned so much from, you know, the way that you think and, and what you're doing. I think, you know, for me, the thing that I'm I've taken out of this is I think that maybe, you know, we don't give enough space to not presume. And I'm really going to look at that and go, how do I do that better in the way that I have conversations? Like, how do I make sure I create spaces in the conversations I'm having where I'm not assuming that I'm actually, and how do I use lenses or filters to be able to do this better? And I think that that's something that's coming into it because I think Sometimes when we hear things, it's really, really easy to presume that's what they're meaning by that. And I think there's such a risk to that and we miss out on the goodness of actually what they're saying or thinking or where they're coming from. Like you say, the perception from, you know, our side versus what is actually being communicated and I think that that's the thing I'm going to take from our conversation today. But I'd love to know, what is the thing you're going to take from our conversation today? Is there an insight? Is there some, maybe it's, you know, you've, it's just confirmed something or you're like, maybe it's questioning things more. I don't know. What is it that you're taking from our conversation? Yeah, so thank you for asking. And it was interesting when you said you misunderstood that I wanted to make it all the same people who believed the same and had the same values and then grow something that was like a mirror image and it's on a slightly different angle. And when you said that and you gave me the opportunity to clarify it, however, just for me too, it just made it really clear that we don't always get it right. We don't always understand what that other person mm. is meaning and trying to say. And so it's so mm. important to give it back and say, is this what you meant? I mean, I, yeah. it's something you will know, but to be reminded that when I think someone's meant something, just to check in and say, "Is this is what I heard you say? Is that what you meant?" And that's real. Mm, I like that. So what yeah. I get from you is just a reminder that communication happens in so many different ways. It's not yes. just voice. We know that our what we speak is only a tiny portion, like something like twenty five percent is it of our or seven percent of our actual communication. That it's so important. Communication is the number one thing in any relationship, whether it's business, whether it's family, whether it's our loved ones, whether it's our children. Communication is actually the one most important thing in life. If and with ourselves, our communication with ourselves, that fear mm. that never stops talking. So for me, it's just a reminder to keep on that track and to be really uh, diligent about listening and hearing what people mean and what they're saying and checking that we've got it right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. And I think the other piece of that is have I listened to that and have I listened to what you were trying to communicate? And then it's like, 
I think this is the thing. Like, just because I've heard doesn't mean that I'm going to change my values. Doesn't mean that my beliefs are any different than they were when we came on the conversation. But I might have got a different insight that I go, I could do that better. Or I may have gained more knowledge around an area and now I could not just acknowledge that area, but I can start moving into that area. And I think that this is this is where, you know, as humans, we've got to learn to be more confident and to to trust our intuition, to trust that we know what pathway we are to go on and not to let the things that are very systemic, the, the conditionings, the biases, the old way of doing things, the status quo, to then direct what decisions we make at the table. And I think that that's, yeah, that's such a, a good thing to be reminded of for all of us to continue to keep thinking, you know, just it's not, it's that finite versus infinite. It's like just because I've now heard doesn't make that a finite thing for me. And I think we often work in a world which it's like there is a yes or a no and there's no no part of the process. There's no, okay, I need to maybe even percolate on that to decide what I'm taking from that. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like you say, the status quo, just keep questioning the status yeah. quo. It's not reality. Look at what is reality. You know, we don't even see things with our eyes that are reality. You know, everything we see is upside down. The brain changes it. It mm-hmm. proves that the brain so actually... I, I laugh even more because in my world, I see things even more upside down than what you do. <laughs> so I'm dyslexic. I, wow. um, I, I think with my left and right brain, I'm not just one way brained. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm... I'm ambidextrous. There's so much that I think is very, 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 very different to most people. Where it was, it was at one point a negative because I couldn't learn the way other people, you know, teach. It has now become my genius zone. But I have to say, it's not always been a positive thing to to be so different. Wow. And did you know that um, a very high proportion of entrepreneurs dyslexic? I'm learning. I'm very much learning that and there's a lot of people on spectrums that are the very high functioning as well, which yeah. is interesting because the brain just works at a whole different level. At, yeah. yeah. So it's amazing. This has been amazing. I'm about to end this broadcast, but I just wanted to thank you, Karen, for being on the decision table. Thank you for being willing to connect and have a conversation. And wow, it's been amazing. And I've loved the questions that we've both, you know, had and and answered and the thinking and the insights that have come from it. And I'm sure, you know, the listeners too have, have got so much from this. So thank you so much for being willing to come on the decision table. Well, Kerry Marie, thank you for inviting me. And I've loved it too. Sometimes I've been challenged because this has been a very off the cuff thing. So It's not like I can just, you know, give you the answers that are written down. However, it's really, it's a great experience. And I feel, as I said, very honoured and privileged to be on here. And 
share what you're aiming for and be part of it. So thank mm, you so thank much. You. I'm going to end this broadcast, but don't you go away anywhere quite yet. <laughs> thank you to all the listeners that are here. We just appreciate you. Love this. Share this. And we'll see you again tomorrow. Thank you. Amazing droplets of wisdom for you from today's episode. Make sure you subscribe. Ensure you leave an awesome rating and review. Our hope is this podcast creates a new awareness, activates ownership to what is next, a curiosity for the need to be part of the change and to make footsteps of sustainability from today onwards. If you want to further your journey with us, then apply to join us at our next Leaders Movement Parlay. The link is in the show notes. We appreciate you. Help us to help build a tribe who make humanity as stakeholders. To achieve this together, recommend this podcast to leaders, innovators, and movement changers. Big love until we see you on the next Decision Table Series podcast episode.